Good evening, and thank you for being here with us tonight. I want to thank Wes and the shepherds here at McDermott Road for inviting me to come and speak to you this evening. You know, it just goes to show you how small of a world it really is within the Churches of Christ. I have known so many members of the McDermott Road Church for so many years. Going back to my days at Harding University, uh, some time spent in ministry in other places, and most recently recording with several of your members on acapella, Praise and Harmony. What a wonderful experience that was. I have come to know that the good people at McDermott Road love the Lord, and they want to share that love with as many people as they can. And it's a joy to be able to speak on your summer series tonight. When Wes asked me to pick one of Paul's letters, I was a bit stumped because there's so much good material that Paul has written over the years. There's so many good things to preach about. But in 2019, I preached a series on the book of Ephesians. I've challenged myself to preach through all of uh, Paul's letters, and I preached through the book of Ephesians, and I really fell in love with the book of Ephesians. It's an old preacher adage that the, uh, your favorite book of the Bible will be the one you're preaching on that week, and the book of Ephesians has really stuck with me. And so tonight, we're going to be looking at a passage from Ephesians chapter 3, and I hope that you're excited about that. But as we begin tonight, I want to ask this one question, what's your why? It's a question that people and organizations oftentimes ask to determine purpose. It's a question that I ask when people come to me for counseling. It's a question that I ask when I look in the mirror, in the metaphorical and in the physical mirror, when I need to recenter myself, when I need to understand what I'm doing in life, I will ask myself that question, what's your why? And tonight, we are going to get a rare glimpse into Paul's why. This part of Ephesians that we're going to look at in Ephesians chapter 3 is a prayer that Paul is praying. I love to hear people pray. I love to hear people pray because it gives insight into their hearts. So many of Paul's letters are full of direction, they are full of reports, they are full of requests, but right now in this small passage in Ephesians chapter 3, we are going to get a rare look into Paul's prayer life, and what a wonderful look it is. I would ask that you join me this evening as we look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory he may grant, to, uh, grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far abundantly more than we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Jesus instructed his followers to not stand on the street corners and to pray lavish prayers, but to go into their closets, to get on their knees and to pray to the Lord, to bring their petitions before the throne of grace of God. And we have just been in Paul's prayer closet. We have just been on our knees with Paul. And hearing his thoughts, hearing his desires for the Lord's church, hearing his hopes and dreams of what he could do as an instrument of God. 
And so I hope tonight that that inspires you to think about what your why is. What is your purpose in life? Why are you here on earth? I hope that by looking at Paul's example that we can find a great example in that and that we can learn a great deal from Paul and that we can answer that question. And I hope the answer to that question is steeped in the love of Jesus Christ. Do you remember Conjunction Junction, What's Your Function from Schoolhouse Rock? Schoolhouse Rock was one of my favorite things to watch growing up. I love the ones about government. I love the ones about English. And the song, Conjunction, Junction, What's Your Function, was a way of teaching children about the parts of speech we know as conjunctions. Well, I want us to think of this phrase, for this reason, as a biblical conjunction. In the previous part of chapter 3 of Ephesians, Paul has been sharing some things, some thoughts, and some ideas, and he uses this phrase, for this reason, to link those phrases together, those thoughts together. I'd encourage you to go back and read Ephesians chapter 3 in its totality. In fact, I would encourage you to read the whole book of Ephesians in its totality. It doesn't take very long to do. But Paul is using this phrase to bridge some thoughts together. And it is for this reason that Paul bows his knees before the Father who is in heaven. That's a lot of the why of this prayer. He wants to come before God. He wants to be in a prayerful position. He wants to share what's on his heart with God. And so many of us could benefit from doing this exact same thing. It's sad that it takes things like COVID-19 to drive us to our knees. It's sad that it takes things that are so dramatic like a, a loss of a job or a loss of a family member or some other kind of illness to drive us to our knees. And yet, we should be spending more and more time on our knees. I can remember hearing stories from my grandparents when I was growing up about how people would come out into the aisles of church auditoriums and that they would get on their knees when they prayed, about how they would stand in reverence to Scripture when it was read. And we just don't do things like that anymore. So much of the reason we have trouble defining what our why is is because we're not looking to God for that answer. We're looking to ourselves. We're looking at how we can bring glory to ourselves. This word before literally means facing towards someone or something in a mental and physical way. I believe that Paul physically bowed his knees so that mentally and spiritually he could be prepared to talk to God. I find it ironic that if we're going to have a conversation with a close friend, we take all kinds of precautions to make sure that that conversation is not interrupted in some way. We may turn our phones off. We may wait till our children go to bed. We may go to a place just to have a conversation so we know that we won't be interrupted. But oftentimes with God, we don't take these kinds of precautions. We don't put our phones away. Sometimes we don't turn the television off. Sometimes we just keep on reading what we're reading and try to pray at the same time. And that's not what God wants. If we love our earthly friends enough to take care of those, uh, take care to have those precautions, we should love God that much or that much more so even that we should take those precautions. Instead of inviting distraction in, we should be escorting distraction out. And so it's for this reason we bow our knees before the Father. As I mentioned, this was a very common practice not that long ago in our country, and it would not hurt us to bring that practice back again. 
When it comes to prayer, our why, our reason for praying should be because we need God in our lives, and we should make sure that we're not distracted when we pray to God. I, I believe that Paul was not distracted. I believe that Paul was on his knees quite a bit praying to God. He had a daunting task ahead of him. He was one of the few evangelists that were in existence at that time. He was working with several different churches at different times, and he had a great deal on his shoulders. It probably felt good to go to his knees. It felt good to be in that posture <clears throat> to speak to God. And we should be willing to change our posture to get rid of distractions. And I believe if we would do that, then that question, what's our why, would be so much easier to answer. Our why is that we want a relationship with God, and we build that relationship through bowing our knees before the Father. Shakespeare once wrote that a rose by any other name would smell just as sweet. He wrote this in reference to Romeo, who loved Juliet, who was a member of a rival family. They were star-crossed lovers, is what we are, are told in literature. A name is one of the most important things in our lives. A name is what identifies us. A name is what separates us from everyone else here on earth. A name is something that we come to be known by. And believe it or not, this is a great place to start a conversation with someone about God. You see, there are people that believe that God is unfriendly or uncaring because he only blesses those who are his children, but that's not the case. We know in the book of Romans that God, that, that God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. We know in this passage that every family on heaven and earth derives their name from God. Literally, when God created the world, he gave Adam the, the charge to name the things here on earth. And so every name on earth, every person has a name because of God. God loves us enough to set us apart as humans from every other creation here on earth. And God loved us enough to give us a name. But understanding all of that brings a little deeper understanding to the book of Ephesians. One of the big themes in the book of Ephesians is you had a group of formerly Jewish Christians and a formerly Gentile Christians. Sometimes those formerly Jewish Christians thought they were better than the Gentile Christians because they had been God's chosen people. What Paul is trying to do here, and I believe doing so expertly, is reminding them that everyone on heaven and earth derives their name from God, that their identity should be tied up in God. They are no longer Jews, they are no longer Gentiles, they are now Christians. They are sons and daughters of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And likewise, we should derive our name in the same way. I'm proud to bear the name that I have. I'm proud to bear my Father's name. But I am much more so, so much more so proud to bear the name of my Heavenly Father, to be able to call myself a Christian, a follower of Christ. If our why is tied up in our family name and our surname and not in being a Christian, then we need to reassess what our why is. We need to look in the mirror physically, metaphorically. We need to spend some time on our knees and we need to thank God that he has given us our name. Our culture should not be one of our culture of origin, our country of origin, not that there's anything wrong with any country that anyone has come from, but we should take joy in the fact that we have a culture of Christ. We have a culture as his children. We have a heritage that goes back so far, and we should be thankful for that. That should all come into play when answering that question, what is your why? 
Paul sees the church as God's physical resource here on earth. We have often been called the hands and feet of Jesus. And I believe that's how Paul saw us. He saw us as a means for God to work through us and for us to share the love of God, the grace of God, with those who do not yet know him. The strength was not just a physical strength that Paul is praying about here. It is a spiritual strength as well. It will strengthen the inner being, that part of us which has that relationship with God. When we are baptized into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are endowed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it is that gift that strengthens our inner being. Consider for a moment all the terrible things that Paul went through in his life. He was imprisoned, he was shipwrecked, he was snake bit, he was run out of town. He left the splendor of being a Pharisee, the upper crust of Jewish society, to be an itinerant tent-making preacher. And yet Paul was still able to find strength. So much of his why was found in that strengthening of the inner being that God provided for him, largely through prayer. If our why is somehow separate from our spiritual side, then we're destined to fail. But if our why is in the inner being where our relationship with God exists, then God will do amazing things through us as individuals and as a church. Because you see, it's not enough for us to identify as Christians just as individuals. We must identify first as Christians as a church as well. We must together with one voice say that we belong to God and that we are here to do his will here on earth. And if we could do that as a church, there is no telling what God would do through us. The, the answer to that question, what's your why, would be so easy to answer because we would be of one mind. Paul continues his thoughts on the inner being by speaking about Christ dwelling with us. Now, we know that we don't physically carry around a piece of the body of Christ with us. But when we are baptized, when we do receive that gift of the Holy Spirit, Christ dwells within us. As a parent, I understand this desire to want to dwell with my child. This is a different world than the world that I grew up in. It's not as safe as the world that I grew up in. And there's a part of me that wants to be with my little girl all the time. But I can't do that. I'm a human being. I can't be in two places at once. But God's nature is such that he can dwell with us all the time. And so Christ is indwelling in us. And when we consider what our why is, taking the indwelling nature of Christ into consideration will help us to define what our why is and how we can be his children here on earth. The indwelling of Christ benefits us in many ways, which Paul will speak about in the next part of this prayer that we're hearing today. It is through faith that Christ dwells in our hearts. That's not to say that faith alone saves us, as some of our friends might believe. Rather, it is because we have put our faith in Christ through putting him on in baptism and committing to live a life dedicated in service to him. This is something I wanted to stop and talk about for a moment. It is in so many ways, so easy for people to accept the forgiveness that comes through baptism. It is so easy for people to accept being added to the Lord's church, but what we fail to do as a fellowship sometimes is that we, we fail to teach that you are making a lifelong commitment. You are making an eternal commitment when you put on Christ in baptism. And so as God's people, we need to stress that Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. 
that it's not a one-time, when we are baptized, it's not a one-time event that we can walk away from and keep living our lives the way we were living before. No, we're to repent. We're to live a better life. We're to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. Our why should be, our why should be answered in the fact that Christ died on the cross for our sins. Paul talks about being rooted in this passage. Being rooted conveys the idea of being established. Think for a moment about a plant that is rooted. It has to be in the right kind of soil. Jesus talked about that. And the love of Christ should be rooted in us. It should be rooted deep, and it should be rooted in the why of our lives. That should be the why of our lives. When we realize that our faith should be rooted in this kind of love, the question of what your why is becomes so much easier to answer. We love God because he first loved us and he showed his love by redeeming us through Christ dying on the cross for our sins. And we should show that same kind of love to others. Showing the love of Christ should be a big part of what our why is here on earth. I have come to the conclusion that when you have a school-aged child in your house, when they have homework, you have homework. And that became more apparent than ever this past spring when our schools had to shut down due to COVID-19. I had to become a math tutor, and I'm not very good at math. I don't comprehend math very well. And so when Paul talks about yearning for that strength to comprehend, I identify with Paul. I wanted the strength to comprehend what my daughter was doing in school so she could be successful. But I would dare say that the kind of understanding, the level of understanding that Paul is asking for here is so much deeper than the level of understanding that I desire for third grade math. It was Paul's hope and desire that the Ephesians and everyone else reading this letter would yearn for an understanding of God's will in their lives. That they would be eagerly seeking out God in all aspects of their lives and that they would do this as individuals and as a church. Remember, the Ephesian letter is not written to an individual Christian. It is written to the Christians living in Ephesus, those meeting in those house churches, those that, that believed in Jesus Christ and were baptized and added to his church. And so this letter, while has a lot to say to us individually, it has so much more to say to us as a fellowship, as a church. We cannot do this on our own. We are hardwired for community. And right now, that's very, that's very difficult. We're not meeting together regularly. We're seeing each other uh, only through Zoom calls, maybe, or maybe the occasional pass by in a store or something like that. But we are hardwired for community. And that's a big part of our why, or at least it should be. Paul mentions uh, the breadth and the length and the height to convey the all-surpassing love of God. You cannot go around God. You cannot go over Him. You cannot go under Him. And you cannot go through him because he surpasses all of these measurements. When we understand that God is truly immeasurable by human terms, then our why is formed in the light of that knowledge. And when we understand, when we understand that, God is pleased. God's love also surpasses any kind of measure and is not totally comprehensible. As Paul says, it also surpasses knowledge. But there is at least part of that love that we can understand in understanding uh, God, or at least what we are able to understand. And then we will be filled up with the fullness of God. 
linguistically, there is something very interesting happening here. This idea of being filled up is in the passive voice, meaning that it is something that is happening to someone. In essence, we are yielding our will to the will of God, and in doing so, He will fill us up with all that we need to understand our why in view of God's place in our lives. Our God loves us so much that He will fill us up, that He will fill us up in the very best in all situations. We have seen God give his very best through the creation of a world that will support us physically. We have seen him fulfill a covenant through prophets and kings and priests. We have seen him give his very best by giving his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross, to shed, to pour out his blood for our sins. And we have seen the establishment of his church. Understanding all of that, when we understand all of that, our why, when we are generally speaking, is that God wants the very best for us. As Christians, we have already had the very best through God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When we realize that and we start living that way, then we will be unstoppable as individuals and as the Lord's church. If you grew up in the churches of Christ in the 1980s and 1990s, you probably went to a youth rally at some point. And at that youth rally, you probably heard the group a cappella, and they sang the song, Now to Him. That song is almost a direct quotation of this passage of Scripture in Paul's prayer. Oftentimes, when I was a youth minister and we were having vacation Bible school, our puppets would sing that song, Now to Him, and our children loved that song. That was the one they requested every year. When I am asked occasionally, what is your favorite passage of Scripture, I oftentimes go to the end of this prayer. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. In so many ways, as as Paul is praying, I I, I can almost see myself in that room with him. I can almost hear his thoughts. And I believe that Paul started off very quietly. I I believe that he started off in, in such a way that maybe he was even fearful in some of his prayers. But as he kept going, that prayer got bolder and bolder and bolder until he finally got to where he proclaims that his why is because God can do immeasurably more, abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. The phrase abundantly more implies that God is above all things. He is above your personal shortcomings. He is above your lack of funds. He is above COVID-19. God is above all things. But fear is paralyzing. Fear hides in the most unlikely of places, and it rears its ugly head when we least expect it. And sometimes when we ask ourselves that question, what is my why, what's your why, That's when fear rears its ugly head. Fear comes out and says, you can't do those things. And you know what? Fear's right. You can't do it on your own. But with the help of God, who is above all things, who can do abundantly more than we can ask or imagine, we can be unstoppable. But we have to allow God to have his proper place in our life. When we ask that question, what's our why? It must be seen through the lens of a God that can conquer all things. Our God, who can do abundantly more, is at work within us as individuals, and he is at work in his church to his glory. I want to brag for just a moment on the congregation which I serve, the Webb Chapel Church of Christ over in Farmer's Branch. 
We're feeding people at Farmer's Branch. We're helping about 100 family units a week. And the great thing about this program is when we announced it, when we said that we were going to start doing this, our elders said there's some money in the budget and you can use that money. We haven't touched one dollar of that money because our congregation has risen up. People are writing checks. They are funding this project. People are showing up so much so that we have to have a schedule for workers, not the people receiving the food, the people who are putting the food together in bags in order that we don't have so many people that we're stumbling over each other. God is doing some amazing things. We are living proof, the Lord's church, that something good can be happening right before us and we'll still find a way to ignore it at times, though. When we ignore God's power that's within us, that's the equivalent of a person who is having radiating pain on their left side saying, I'm not having a heart attack. God is at work all the time. God is doing great things all the time. But unless he is our why, unless his grace and his love is our why, then we're going to have trouble seeing that, and we're not going to be able to be a part of it. So I encourage us as we, as we think about that, think about the power that's at work within us as individuals in the Lord's church. Our why, more times than not, brings glory to ourselves. But Paul figured out what his why was, to live a life that brings glory to God in all aspects of that life. And the glory is to be manifested in the Lord's church and throughout all generations forever and ever. And that can't happen as long as our why is about us and not about God. Paul gave, glo gave glory to God in all aspects of his life. He did so in the good times, he did so in the bad, and, and if we are going to live a life that is pleasing to God, then we must learn to do the same. If anyone had the right to boast, it was Paul. But in his humbleness before God, on his knees, he gave all glory to God, and we should always be willing to do the exact same thing in our lives individually and as his church. So I want to ask you one more time tonight, what is your why? I highly suggest that you ask yourself that question on a regular basis. I would say to anyone who is listening to this, who's a member of the Lord's Church, to ask this question of the leadership of your individual congregation so that we can stay focused, so that we can keep God in the forefront of what our why is. I want to confess to you tonight that in, in going over this lesson and preparing this lesson, I asked myself that question for the first time in a long while. What's my why? And I don't have an answer yet, but I'm on a journey. I'm trying to learn from my mistakes. I'm trying to learn to put God first in all things. And I hope that you are as well. This evening, if you've not put on Christ in baptism, that's something you'd like to do, you can contact the good people here at the McDermott Road Church of Christ. And I know they would be willing to help you. If you are struggling with what your why is, if you are looking for that answer in your life and you need prayers of Christians, I know that you can reach out to the good people here and they would come alongside you, they would pray for you, and they would help you to find what that why is. Whatever your need is, I'm sure it can be met. I want to again thank Wes for the invitation. I want to thank the elders of the uh, McDermott Road Church of Christ for inviting me out. It has been a pleasure to be here with you. God bless you and have a wonderful day.